Well, good evening. It's good to see everybody here this evening. Uh, good to see those who are, who are here online with us, whether you're on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube. Be sure to like, to heart, to retweet there. Follow us on Facebook, subscribe on YouTube, uh, hit the notification bell there, and be sure that all is clicked. That way it'll always uh, show you the live uh, when we go live. And then also welcome to our phone live streaming uh, people who are watching and listening there. Uh, we're glad to have you joining with us also. If you need that number, feel free to ask me. I'll be glad to give that to you. If you need that at home, call our church office at the number that you see on the screen there, and we'll be glad to give that number to you. I encourage you, if you're at home, to go to our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com under the info tab. You can download the worship bulletins for today. Uh, the children's worship bulletin links are there also. If you need any one of those, they're in the windowsills uh, to either side here. And then also the prayer list, you can download that under the info tab, and those are on the table out here outside the offices uh, where you can pick up a paper copy uh, of that. And so uh, don't forget to be praying for our Annie Armstrong Easter offering, uh, praying all throughout this week, using your guide uh, to pray for those individuals, praying about what God would have you to give towards uh, the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Uh, and so you can do that on our website there too, where you give online. Uh, just go to the far right-hand side, click that Give Online tab. You can do your regular offering. You can do the uh, Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Uh, there's a couple of other things you can designate to there. So I encourage you to take the time to do that. Be sure to pray uh, all throughout this week. We'll be sharing more uh, throughout this week on our social media platforms uh, about our missionaries. And then again, next Sunday and all throughout uh, the month of March and into April. So uh, be sure to be here. You'll receive a wonderful blessing from some of the stories uh, from some of our missionaries who are serving around North America. So Brother Mike, if you'll come. To God be the glory. We'll sing all three, Tommy. Miss Pat. To God be the glory, great things he Son and give 
As we continue our walk through the life of Jesus, uh, we're just continuing from where we picked up, left off this morning uh, with uh, looking uh, there in Matthew's gospel. We are going to spend most of our time in Mark's gospel uh, tonight. We'll see a few things as we go back to what we talked about and finished up in Matthew uh, there. But you remember uh, that Jesus had seen uh, the fig tree that produced a lot of leaves but no fruit and how that was symbolic to show that the nation of Israel uh, was like that. There was a lot of fluff but no substance. Uh, there was uh, no faithfulness uh, in their lives. And so uh, they had the external look uh, that they were following the Lord, but internally they weren't. And Jesus says that uh, numerous times, that, that their hearts, their lips may profess Him, but their hearts were far from Him. And so we're going to go back to Mark in chapter 11 and verse 22 here, and we're going to uh, pick up here. So Mark 11, 22, uh, down through uh, verse, we'll go down through verse 24, uh, and then we'll uh, come back to where we were there in Matthew. So let's stand as we read God's Word in honor of His Word. <clears throat> and Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your word tonight as we uh, continue looking at what you wanted to teach us through uh, this parable, this picture here, this imagery, the symbolism of the, of the fig tree there uh, about prayer and forgiveness. And so, Father, I pray that uh, you'll make yourself known to us tonight, speak to our hearts. Uh, Lord, we pray that we'll, we'll feel and sense your presence here tonight, that if, if there is any sin within our hearts and our lives, Lord, I pray that the light of the truth of your word will shine into our lives to reveal those things that we might confess it before you and that you would have your way and your will in our hearts and our lives, especially, Lord, for those who may not know Christ as their Lord and their Savior. We pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. So bless your word tonight, and we ask uh, for your presence to be with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. 
there was a minister that was in a church one time who called the children down to the front uh, every Sunday and he told them a story. One time he brought this telephone uh, to illustrate the idea of prayer. And he said, now kids, you know how you talk to people on the telephone. You don't see them on the other end. That was true when we had the landlines and that's still true uh, for the most part when we have the, the cell phones. You can video chat uh, with somebody today. So that's kind of changed a little bit. Uh, but he said, most of the time you can't see people on the other end uh, of the line, but you know that they're there. And the children nodded and uh, their heads yes. And he said, well, talking to God, he said, is like talking on the telephone. He's on the other end of the line, even though you can't see him, but he's listening. One little boy, he, he perked up about that time and he said, well, what's his number? <laughs> we need Jesus's number. We need the Lord's number. And that is a good question. Uh, or maybe you feel like the cartoon character Ziggy. Remember Ziggy? Uh, which showed him one time standing on a mountain and he was staring right up into the sky and the sky was dark and there's only one lonely cloud up there and frame after frame after frame shows Ziggy just, just staring straight up. And then in, in the last frame he yells up and he says, have I been put on hold for the rest of my life? <laughs> you know, when we think about that and we think about prayer here, sometimes in our prayer lives we kind of feel that way. Lord, do you hear what I'm saying to you. Uh, according to a Gallup poll, 78% uh, of Americans pray once a week. 57% of Americans uh, pray at least once a day. 91% of women and 85% of men pray at least occasionally. And the reason why people pray is because they think prayer is effective. But that raises a question, just how effective is our prayer? Because the kind of prayer that we're going to look at tonight it isn't a now I lay me down to sleep kind of prayer. Uh, it isn't a kind of uh, a quick prayer that we might say. It's the powerful spiritual discipline of prayer, of victorious prayer in our lives. This morning we talked about that first and foundational principle of prayer and forgiveness. And, and as you read uh, the, how the New Testament believers prayed, uh, you begin to learn that these people learned how to pray and they saturated their lives uh, with prayer. And when they did, God gave the victory over and over and over. But you compare that with the average Christian today, compare that with the average church today, or even Christendom at, as a whole today, we're failing in the battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the reason that we fail is primarily, fundamentally, we don't always know how to pray, at least to pray effectual, fervent prayers. And so uh, understand this, there is not a need that is in your life or in my life that, that proper prayer would, would, have, would not have avoided. Uh, as, as that would not be able to answer the need uh, that you have. And, and you think about what Jesus says, if you look at Mark chapter 14 and verse 38, he, he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we need to learn how to pray. And there are some things I want you to learn about the powerful spiritual discipline here, a prayer and forgiveness because that's what Jesus was wanting to teach about 
uh, through this fig tree. Now, there was a couple of things. We talked about one this morning, that of fruitfulness and unfruitfulness. But we also see that that is all rooted in our relationship with God, that you have to know God. And so the, the power of praying uh, comes with a heart of faith. And that's what we saw uh, back in Matthew in chapter uh, 21 there and verse 22. Uh, you'll remember there that he said in verse 22, he said, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Uh, he, he told uh, his disciples uh, in Mark's gospel in verse uh, 22 there, have faith in God. And, and so he uses this miracle to teach us a lesson on faith. Now, we talked about this this morning, so I won't go into all of the detail of it. I encourage you to go back and watch our, our sermon from this morning. But the first condition to prayer is faith in God. It's not faith in faith. We talked about that, that it's not trying to build up your faith. It's not if I, if I can somehow muster up enough faith, because then your focus is where? On faith. It's not on the object of our faith, on God. What we need to be saying is, Lord, I need more of you. Because the more I have of God in my life, the more I have faith in him, the more I trust in him. And so we, we talked about that, not having faith in faith, but making sure that we know the object of our faith and, and how that's crucial uh, to our, 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 our experiencing faith in our prayers and being able to produce fruit uh, in our lives. In fact, Jesus answered as we read there in verse 22. He said, have faith in God. And then in verse 23, he goes on to say, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and, 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 and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Now, that's just mind-boggling for us. To, to think that, that you could say to a, a mountain, you could look at the mountains over here at Swanee, uh, where the University of the South is up there, you see the big cross up on the mountain there. To, to say to that mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea. So what is Jesus talking about here? Well, mountains represent the immovable, the impossible. It's something almost too steep to climb, almost too high to cross, almost too awesome to see beyond. And, and so this is the reason Jesus discusses prayer and, and, and talks about uh, forgiveness along with faith, that we have to learn to have faith in God as we pray and as we fellowship with God. And then also an, an aspect of that is to be uh, experiencing giving forgiveness uh, in our hearts and in our lives. So the more we pray, and we experience the presence of God, the more we know God. The more we know God, the more we experience faith in God. The more we experience uh, the faith in God, the more we experience the removal of mountains that slow our progress through life. But there's another fact that I want you to see, to notice about faith, that faith is, is, is the way, uh, I want you to see the way to possess faith. The way to possess faith is prayer. 
Because Jesus plainly says, whoever does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Now, when he says no doubting there, uh, uh, that, means, uh, that doesn't mean never having a thought whether a thing can be done or not. It means not hesitating. It means not wondering. It means not questioning or, or considering, uh, not being concerned at all. Realistically, only God himself can know if, if it will happen or not. But the, when, when the Lord is, at, is after, what he's after is that we would grow in our belief, that we would grow in our trust of him. And so he wants us to believe that all things are possible, not in ourselves, not in our own strength, not in our own capabilities, but in him. He is the God of this universe. There is nothing, absolutely nothing in your life, my life, or this world that God cannot handle. And so we need to believe in God's authority. Notice the words when he says what he says will happen. The power of Christ came from the authority of God, and all he had to do was say that is, speak the word, and it was done. I mean, you look at Jesus' life, and when he did miracles, most of the time, there are a few times he touches an individual, or an individual touches him, but most of the miracles that he does, he speaks a word. What he says comes to happen. It comes to pass. And so all he had to do was say, uh, speak the word, and it was done. And that's the very point that he's making to us. If we believe ourselves, doubting not, then we stand in the authority of God, and we may say, speak the word, and it'll be done. Now, we're going to see the, the caveats to that here uh, also, because I want you to notice uh, also another fact about faith is the result of faith. Because when we pray having faith, truly having faith, in God, not faith in faith, not faith in ourselves, but faith in God, uh, that what he says will come to pass. The mountains that confront us will be removed effectively and quickly. So we have to be careful not to take this passage and, and isolate it from the rest of Scripture. Uh, all too often we do that and we see individuals who do that with passages like this. Prayer has to be in the will of God. So when you're asking things, it's not, Lord, I pray, I hope you just let me win the lottery, let me win Powerball this weekend. That's not God's will. What, what he's talking about here is we need to be praying according to God's will. We find God's will in his word. And we need to be abiding ourselves in the love of God. So, so that's the thing we have to be careful is don't take a passage like this and isolate it from the rest of Scripture that you begin to give, build this false theology uh, about prayer that you can just name it and claim it, and it's going to happen. That's not what the Scripture is teaching here. Real prayer is a part of our constant fellowship with God and our worship of God. Nor should we take a passage like Mark 11, verse 24, to mean if you pray hard enough, if you really, truly believe, then God is obligated to answer your prayers no matter what you ask. So look at verse 24 and let's see what it says. He says, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it 
and it will be yours. And that's where so many today in our society today have gone to a, a name it and claim it, just pray it and it's going to happen. Uh, he's obligated, uh, in a sense, to, to answer it. And, and that's not at all what this passage is saying. That kind of faith isn't faith in God. Rather, it's nothing but faith in faith or faith in feelings. True faith in, in God is based on His Word. That's why one of the things I encourage people to do is use the Scriptures to guide your prayers. Pray Scripture. Because you know when you're praying Scripture, you're praying God's Word that's revealed to us His will. And so it has well been said that the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. So it's always about God's will, not what's my will. The second condition of prayer uh, that I want you to see here also is, and, and it's a little bit of what we saw this morning in Jesus when he went to the fig tree and he looked, there was an expectancy. So in our prayers, there ought to be an expectancy to believe and to expect the answer to our prayers. Now understand, we've talked about prayer before. It may not be the answer you want, but know that God will answer your prayers. He may say, yes, that's exactly what I want for your life. Here's the blessing. I'm pouring it out on you. Whatever it is that you prayed for, he gives it to you. But there's a lot of times in our lives where we're praying for something and we don't really realize because we've never really sat and thought about what I'm praying, that I'm praying out of selfish desires. I'm praying out of what I want rather than what God wants. And God says, uh-uh, you don't need that. Not yet. It may even be a good thing that you're praying for. And he says, not now. You couldn't handle it if I gave it to you. And so when we're praying, we need to make sure that we're praying according to his will, to believe in his word, to expect him to answer. Sometimes when he answers, he just flat out says no. That's it. I mean, when, when, if you have kids and you're in, in the store with your kids and they're wanting something and you say no, what do they usually do? Uh, please, I want it, I want it, I need it, I need it. You know, sometimes we do that as adults before God. We may not express it in that same way, but we do the same thing. God says, no, no, you're not mature enough yet to have that. Sometimes it's because he knows that what we're asking for would cause harm to us, and he wants to protect us. And so he will answer, you just may not like the answer that he gives. And so the exact words here of Jesus' promise are interesting. Uh, look at the verse again. He says, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Expectancy involves all of our being. The, the spirit of expectancy involves our emotions, it involves our desires, it involves our will, surrendering our will to his will. Uh, we ask and it involves the spirit and we believe. And so prayer is an expectancy. You need to be expecting when you pray for God to answer. But there's more to the story. There's more to prayer than just that. And that's what he goes on to talk about in verse 25 uh, and in verse 26 uh, when, when we see here uh, the power of praying with a heart 
of forgiveness. So from time to time, uh, from the time you were born, uh, you immediately begin to interact with other people. You grow up in a family, you go to school, you play on a team, you join a club, uh, you get into a career or a business, and you raise your own family. And you'll discover that there are two situations you cannot avoid. It's a situation that happens to all of us, no matter how good of a person that you may be, no, no matter how hard you try, and no matter how nice you are, you're going to be in one of these two situations. You'll either need to be forgiving someone, or you'll need to be forgiven yourself. Forgiveness demands more character than we even realize. I mean, think about it. Have you ever been hurt? You've ever been mistreated? You've ever been disappointed? I mean, think about the person or the persons who, who have hurt you the most, who have mistreated you the, the worst, uh, who have disappointed you the greatest. One of two things is, is true about you right now. Either you have truly and totally forgiven that person or those people, or you haven't. You've either forgiven them totally, completely, or you haven't. And if you have and you're honest, it may be the hardest thing that you've ever done. If you haven't, it's because it's so hard that you don't think you can. One of the reasons why the Bible is so valuable is because it gives us real-life examples and shows people who, who faced real hurt and real heartache just like we do. And rather than becoming victims, they become victors. And rather than sinking into bitterness, they were able to rise to the place of forgiveness. And that is a critical condition in prayer. One of the greatest examples you think about that is Joseph. You remember Joseph and how he was treated by his brothers and how he was sold into slavery? Uh, they, they had left him uh, for dead, basically. In fact, when they went back to their, to their father, they took his bloody garments with them. They spread some blood on it and took it back and said, he, he's dead. He, he was killed by some wild animals. And then God begins to use him and work with him uh, there in Egypt when he goes down uh, with the slave traders, the, the, the traffickers the, had, that had taken him down uh, to Egypt. And then he gets to working in Potiphar's house and things seem to be on the uptick there. Things seem to be going good until he gets falsely accused of going after Potiphar's wife. And then you remember he was thrown into prison. Then he spent that time uh, sharing some uh, interpretation of some visions that a couple of guys had seen there. And one of those guys didn't even remember him when he got out of prison. The other one did, uh, so that when the Pharaoh was having some dreams himself and needed some interpretation, he said, oh yeah, I know a guy back in the prison who told me the answer to my dream. Maybe he can help you too. And they pulled Joseph out, and Joseph came and interpreted the dream. And he put Joseph second in charge over all of Egypt. And then the great famine happened in Israel. And you remember Jacob's, uh, Joseph's brothers here, uh, Jacob's kids, they, they, they came, he sends his kids to go, uh, when the famine came, to go down to Egypt and get some supplies uh, for us. And, and, and you remember all that story that happened there and how eventually they're confronted with their sin. And Joseph exposes himself to them and says, they didn't know it all. And he says, I'm Joseph, your brother. And he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. 
And they couldn't believe, even as a matter of fact, you remember when they went back home, uh, they just couldn't believe that Joseph had truly forgiven them. That's the kind of stories you read about in the Bible where Joseph learned to overcome bitterness towards his brothers and to rise to the place of forgiveness. Notice it is while a person is actually praying. Notice verse 25. Verse 25 says, And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And so understand that it doesn't do any good for us to pray unless we forgive. When we pray, there always has to be forgiveness of those who have wronged us. Hard feelings or anger against a person is sin. And it's evidence that we have not truly uh, turned from our sin and, and are really not sincere in seeking forgiveness when we hold on to that. So notice the stress Jesus puts upon the condition of receiving forgiveness in prayer. No request for forgiveness is granted unless a person has completely forgiven all others. Isn't that what he says? He says, and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. Why? So that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Notice that stress that he puts on that. No, no request for forgiveness is granted unless a person has completely forgiven all others. True prayer involves forgiveness as well as faith. Look at what verse 26 goes on to say. Verse 26 goes on to say, it says, But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses, your sin. So it's intertwined into our prayer life. You want to be in fellowship with God in heaven? and others on this earth, here's where it needs to begin for you. First and foremost, knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but then seeking forgiveness and giving forgiveness. The first word in the Lord's Prayer is what? Our. Our Father in heaven. Not my Father who art in heaven, but our Father. Even though Christians may pray in private, no Christian ever prays alone. Because prayer draws us together. We don't earn God's blessing by forgiving one another. Our forgiving spirit is an evidence, it's a fruit of our hearts that we are right with God and that we want to obey His will and that makes it possible for the Father to hear us and to answer in our prayers. Psalm 66 and verse 18 says... If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So if you don't confess your sin, uh, the psalmist says, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. It stands as a roadblock in your life when you don't deal with the sin in your heart. 
And that includes unforgiveness. Understand that faith works by love. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6 says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So if I have faith in God, I'll also have love for my brothers and sisters in Christ. So, so here's the most important thing I want you to see. Forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performs. It's the greatest, it meets the greatest need that we would ever have. It costs the greatest price that God could ever pay. And, and it brings the greatest blessing that this world could ever receive. Now understand that the root cause of every problem that we have is sin. Sin is what messed everything up in this world. It all goes back to sin. Why is that so important? For this simple reason. If sin is our greatest problem, then forgiveness is our greatest need. If sin is our greatest problem, forgiveness is our greatest need. So think about this. If there's someone that you could think of right now that you would just rather die than forgive that person, you're thinking of someone that's totally unworthy, undeserving of your forgiveness. They're not even sorry for what they've done to you. Remember this, we can forgive those who don't deserve it. You say, how in the world could I do that, preacher? Remember this, that Jesus forgave us when we didn't deserve it. Those three words are some of the most powerful words that anybody could ever say in their life to another person. I forgive you. Life transforming changes your life forever. Changes your perspective about the person. Changes who you are from the inside out. So often we want to say, but you just don't know how much that person hurt me. They don't realize how badly they've destroyed my life. Do you know what? You're right. People that hurt you many times, they don't know how badly they hurt you because you're the one that got hurt. Guess what? Jesus said the same thing. Let me tell you a little secret that if you live long enough, you already know. Nobody makes it through this life free of hurt or personal injury. Somebody somewhere, sometime, has either already hurt you or they will hurt you. Sometimes someone hurts us and we take that hurt out on somebody else who didn't even hurt us. They didn't even do anything wrong. You see that happens so often in marriage relationships. The question isn't whether or not people are going to hurt you or whether or not people are going to do you wrong. The question is, when they do, how are you going to respond? Remember that the word forgive literally means to let go, to send away. Forgiveness is when you release to the Lord any bitterness that you might feel you have the right to, to have towards somebody else, and you let God handle the matter in his own way. And God may handle it in a way that you don't understand. 
Why did he bless that person? Why was he kind to that person? Why was he gracious to that person? That person needed justice. That's why I turned it over to you, God. I wanted you to just zap them. Someone once said, forgiveness is giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. Jesus prayed from the cross himself. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What a powerful lesson for us to learn in prayer that if you want to have powerful prayer, if you want to be producing fruit in your life, this is the second place you need to go to. First and foremost is knowing the object of your faith, that is God. And then secondly is dealing with sin in your heart, dealing with unforgiveness towards others or even towards God. Thirdly here, I want you to see the freedom of prayer. So what do we do when we face a trial? What do we do when we face some trouble or some difficulty in life? So what are we going to do? Are we going to get some petitions up and and we're going to say, now look, uh, we're influential citizens in this city. We demand that you X, Y, Z. Maybe somebody's hurt us. Maybe somebody's offended us. You know, we don't really have any influence. Are are we going to take a a, a collection, take some money, and and use money to try to fix the situation uh, that we're facing? Uh, The only thing we can do, and the only thing that is effective to do, is to pray. So whenever you face any obstacle, whenever you face any trial, whenever someone has hurt you, you need to pray. And we pray, when we pray earnestly... People aren't always going to agree with what you're doing. In fact, you look at the New Testament and you'll see uh, that there were, especially in the book of Acts, uh, there were believers who prayed and people looked at them and and sneered at them and said, look at those silly people down on their knees in prayer. But understand this, there's one person who will not sneer, and it's the devil. It's been well said that Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint down on their knees. Would to God that the church today would learn to be on our knees more than ever before. Understand there is the freedom to pray. Every other door in your life may be closed, but there's always one door that is open, and it's the door upwards to heaven. The devil can do many things to inhibit you, but there's one thing he cannot do. He cannot stop you from praying. He can put all kinds of obstacles in your way, but he cannot stop you from praying. That door goes straight up to heaven, and there may be iron doors all around you. You you might, if you were a missionary in another country, although we've seen this happen with many missionaries uh, who have been captured and and then placed into prisons, and and the people who who are their captors have thought, well, we've, we've squashed the movement, we've squashed the gospel of Jesus going out. They couldn't stop the people from praying. God began to do an awesome work in the church and in the people's lives around them and in their life. Understand there may be chains all over you. There may be people against you, but you can pray. We say even sometimes today, you know, kids can't pray in school. That's not true. Man, nobody there at school can stop you from praying. You can pray anytime. You can pray any place. You can pray in prison, you can pray in school, you can pray in the office, you can pray anywhere. 
That's a wonderful thing to know that we have the freedom to pray. Even if we didn't live in a country where we're free like we are here in America, there are believers in, in the most difficult places in this world, the most restrictive places to be a believer, and they still pray. The devil can't stop it. Prayer shouldn't be our last resort. It ought to be our first resort. We ought to be taking advantage of the opportunity of freedom to pray. Another important principle we need to learn about prayer is, is the faithfulness of prayer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, Pray without ceasing. Very short verse, just like Jesus wept. Kids, you need a verse to memorize? There's your verse. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Three simple words. We ought to pray and pray and then pray some more. Uh, when, when you think about uh, the, the New, New Testament believers, uh, they didn't quit praying. You know what's wrong with so many of us uh, in, in our prayers? We have a take it or leave it attitude toward prayer. We ask God to do something for us, and if it doesn't seemingly answer right away, then, then we just kind of stop praying. Even when God doesn't immediately answer our prayers, you keep on praying. As a matter of fact, the Lord Jesus gave a special parable about that over in Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 18 and verse 1 down through verse 8. It says in verse 1, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. He wasn't even a believer. And, and so God is using, Jesus is using this illustration here to make a point. So the Lord says in verse 6, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nonetheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? We ought always to pray and not lose heart. That means to not stop praying. Jesus said for us to ask, and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be uh, opened unto you. In the Greek language, he's literally saying, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Not just one time. You keep on knocking. Don't quit in your prayers. We ought to pray continually. We ought to pray frequently. We ought to pray faithfully. And then we ought to pray without ceasing. Sometimes it takes a long time to get your prayers answered. Sometimes it's because God has to work in you to get you to where you need to be to receive the answer for the prayer. Sometimes he's having to work in the other person's heart to get them to where they need to be. So just remember that God's delays are not always God's denials. There's the faithfulness of prayer. But then we also see the fervency of prayer. When you look over in James's letter, James writes this in James chapter 5 at verse 16. He says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another 
that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, the King James Version says it this way. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That word fervent is one of those kind of words that kind of has a double meaning there. Uh, and, and it means to pray with intensity, to pray with a fire in your heart, to pray with fervency. That's something else that's wrong with so many of our prayers. We pray with such a casualness, with such a half-heartedness. Half-heartedness is an insult to God. When Jesus prayed, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7 that he prayed with strong crying and tears. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears. To him was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Let me ask you this. When was the last time in your prayers that you shed tears? When Jesus prayed... In the Garden of Gethsemane, his sweat was as drops of blood on his brow. Those minute capillaries were rupturing. He was in such intensity as he prayed. Understand this, prayer is hard work if you're praying fervently, effectually. And you can be half-hearted, you can be casual with your prayers. Good meat, good bread, good meat, good gosh, let's eat. Very casual, half-hearted. But when you're praying earnestly, you're praying effectively and, and, and uh, fervently, uh, it's hard work. That's the reason that many of us don't pray, at least not fervently or earnestly or, or without ceasing. Because it requires concentration. It requires effort. Let me tell you this. It's harder to, to truly pray effectually and fervently than it is to preach. It's harder to pray than it is to study. It's harder to pray than it is to sing. It's harder to pray than almost anything because prayer is work. Prayer is also warfare. When you pray, you are entering into spiritual warfare. The devil is going to oppose you when you start praying. Now, he doesn't mind anything else that you do. As long as we leave out prayer. We can have all our programs. We can have our worship services. We can have our Sunday schools. We can have our fellowships. We can have all of that as long as we leave out the power of the Almighty God that comes through fervent prayer. The devil sneers at all of those religious trappings. He laughs at our personalities. But he fears our prayers. And that's the reason that when you go to pray, you're going to feel opposition. You know that. You've probably experienced that if you're a faithful believer. You've experienced that opposition. The flesh doesn't want to pray. The Bible says the flesh is at enmity with God. The old nature doesn't want to pray. Not only do you have that inward predisposition, if you will, against prayer in your flesh, but you have that outward opposition against prayer. And, and the devil will do everything he can. He'll try to cause your mind to wander. The doorbell ring, the beans are burning, the baby's crying. Doesn't matter what happened. Something's going to happen to keep you from praying. Why? Because it's spiritual warfare. Paul said in Romans chapter 15 
and verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Now, notice the word there, strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. That word strive, that's a word that means hard, earnest labor. Now, there's rest in our faith, but there's also the fight of faith. And we need to learn how to pray fervently, how to mean business with God. When you don't feel like praying, let me tell you this, that's the time you better start praying. When you pray, you pray when you feel like it, you pray when you don't feel like it, and you pray until you do feel like it. You may have to say, dear God, I don't feel like praying today, but I know you want me to pray. And so I'm going to pray. And if I die on my knees, I'm going to stay on my knees until I hear from you. When you make your mind, make up your mind that fears may beset you and foes may oppose you, yet will I enter in. That's the fervency of prayer. And God knows that we need more of that kind of prayer. Where have you seen that prayer? You've seen that prayer in your moms and your dads. You've seen that kind of prayer in your grandmas and your grandpas. You've heard their prayers and how they earnestly maybe were praying for you or they were praying for some situation that was in their life. We need to have more of that kind of prayer in our lives. So let me encourage you, learn those principles of prayer in our lives that you might be faithful, that you might be effectual, that you might be fervent in your prayers. And when you don't feel like it, you say, dear God, I don't feel like it today, but Lord, I need you to help me to pray. You know, sometimes God will wake you up in the middle of the night and you just have a sense come over you. I don't know who I'm supposed to be praying for, but Lord, I'm supposed to be praying for somebody had that happen many times some of you I see your head shaking yeah you pray even when you're tired you wake up in the middle of the night you're exhausted and you're like what in the world did I wake up for it wasn't the water pill that woke me up <laughs> wasn't Samantha over there hitting on me or something I woke up because the Lord woke me up Lord who do you want me to pray for you may not even know who you're supposed to be praying for, but you say, Lord, you know. He knows. He is God Almighty. He is sovereign. He knows the person you're supposed to be praying for. And you start praying for them. And you start pouring your heart out for them. You know, we've, we've put these little blue tags over here on the cross, and we've not mentioned that in quite a while. When's the last time you prayed for somebody's name that you put up here on this cross? Maybe you need to refresh that name. Maybe you need to fill out a new card. We've got some of those that are going to be coming uh, to you in the coming weeks because we want to encourage you to be praying for those lost people around you. You know, we're entering and coming up to Easter, which is uh, one of those two times a year that people uh, who are lost, people who don't normally come to church, will come to church. They'll come at Christmas. They'll come at Easter. 
And so I want to encourage you to be praying for the people around you, praying for your needs also, and knowing that God is capable and able, that no matter how rotten the dirtiest rotten scoundrel is around you, God can touch their heart and bring them to salvation. You just keep on praying. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. Sometimes we don't know who to pray for. Sometimes, Lord, we don't know how to pray. But we know even from your word that you've told us that the Spirit will intercede for us when we don't know what to say. He will utter those groanings that we don't even know how to utter. And so, Father, I pray that you would begin to stir in our hearts as you are stirring in people's hearts all across this world. People who are, who are turning to faith in Christ in, in Africa, in, in Central America, here across North America, and many of our college campuses who are, who are just coming together to pray, to sing songs of praise, to worship you. Father, do whatever it takes. Lord, it's a hard thing for us to say. But if we are the person who's standing in the way of your will being done, do whatever it takes in our life. Lord, as a pastor here, if I am in the way of doing what you would want to do, Lord, do whatever it takes to bring me into compliance with your will. Father, I pray that you will stir our hearts in a powerful way. And Lord, we know that it begins, uh, first of all, with making sure that we have the object of our faith in the correct place, that you are the object of our faith. Not the church, not the buildings, not other people, not other things, but you and you alone. Father, I pray that if there's one who's here or one who's even watching online who's never trusted by faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, may they come tonight and just say, God, I need to be saved. I believe what Jesus did for me. I believe he lived that perfect sinless life. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he was buried in the tomb. Jesus, come into my life and save me and help me to live for you all the days of my life. Father, I pray that you'll begin producing fruit in individuals' lives in a powerful, mighty way. Father, I pray that we would also deal with sin in our hearts, especially as we've seen in this area of unforgiveness. That it's one of the primary things that can block our prayer life with you. Lord, help us to search our hearts. And if there is someone in our lives that you reveal to us we need to go and offer forgiveness even if they never ask for it lord i pray that you would help us to do that if that person's already gone lord i pray that we will express that forgiveness even verbally maybe even writing it down and then tearing it up and giving it to you father i pray that you would have your way and your will in our hearts tonight Lord, may you forgive us for all of our sin. And may you stir our hearts to get back to the priorities, to get back to putting you first in our heart and our life. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.
as we stand and sing our hymn of invitation number 300. As the Lord leads, would you come tonight to the altar? Uh, Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us, please. If you would stand. lost we would be without Jesus. Thank you so much for joining with us there online. Thank you for being here in person. Uh, we look forward to seeing you Wednesday night at 6 o'clock for our Bible study that we'll have together. We'll be back in the book of Joel, finishing up the second part of chapter 2. So come and join us for there, uh, or you can join us there online if you need to. We have our Awana program on Wednesday nights also that begins at 530, uh, as well as our meal uh, that's at 5 o'clock. So come and join us for either one of those. Any of you here in person do that too. So you have a blessed week. We'll see you this coming Wednesday.